from Rixie, this is Frameform. And we're back for another season of movies, moving, and everything in between. We covered a lot of ground in season one, and this year, we're digging even deeper. From conversations and cautionary tales with fellow dance and filmmakers. So people don't like what I do or what I do. I don't care, it's my life. It's taken me a long time to get to this one, like a very long time. To talking trends and tricks of the trade. To me, obvious advantage is that you can slip this in and out of your pocket and just film as the muse calls. I start like focusing on the post sound and it opened up a world for me that I loved it. And our ever-evolving culture of creating and sharing. New episodes every Wednesday. Always relevant and on demand. Hey listeners, welcome back. It's another Wednesday with Frameform. We are super excited to be covering the topic of old technology's new perspectives today. We are sure that if you've been on the internet at all, you have seen the reemergence and the flux of different trends when it comes to different ways that we are not just mimicking old technology aesthetically, but actually returning to our roots and using different equipment than the iPhones in our pockets, as we talked about last week. But first, Hannah, Claire, what have you been watching these days? Oh, man. It's funny because, you know, like during this show, I try to make, you know, a goal for myself to watch movies and movies that challenge me. But honestly, lately... I've been watching The Sopranos. Amazing. Yes. That's like a 20, I don't know how many hours of Sopranos there are. That's like a hundred hour movie. <laughs> yeah, there's like seven seven or eight seasons. I know there's like a 7A or a 6A, B, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm on season four and um, we are enjoying it and I love it. And I already went through my phase of eating Italian food. <laughs> <laughs> does the show make you hungry? It doesn't anymore, but it was in the very beginning when they show like Carmelo's um, baked CD. There was literally like a couple of weeks where we were making Italian once once a week, some kind of Italian dish that was <laughs> full of cheese oh. and meat and noodles. But I, I love the show. I think it's so well done. I hate Janice. I think she's a leech. <laughs> what other feelings? I was going to ask you, what are your feelings about these people? Like, who's standing out to you? So Janice is a leech. We don't like her. Okay, what else? Okay. I don't like her. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't want to say too much about, like, you know... I mean, obviously, the show's about the mafia and people get killed. So I don't want to talk about, like, who I'm so happy that I saw get whacked. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's got the lingo now. It's hilarious. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's been very enjoyable. And basically, we are just trying to watch this before the new movie comes out. And we should all be right. grateful that none of us have a mother like Tony Sopranos. Yes. yes. 100%. Let's all just take a moment to be grateful <laughs> for that. Yeah. Lauren Bacall was in The Sopranos. And, um, yeah, she gets robbed by of people and apparently yeah don't let me know because i don't think i've seen her yet <laughs> okay uh sorry i spoiled it <laughs> oh it's okay. it's okay 
Well, it's okay. It's pretty mm-hmm. great that a, a, a classic Hollywood star appeared in like, when did The Sopranos come out? Mid-90s? Uh, no, early 2000s? Uh, mid, late, late 90s, early 2000s. I think right now, uh, season four is in 2002. Okay. So it's right around like the economic housing crisis yeah. and... 9-11 just happened and all of that. And not to not to segue too soon into today's topic, but isn't that cool that someone from the golden age of Hollywood reemerged in this mafia show mm-hmm. like decades later after her quote unquote prime? Like I just think that's so cool. Oh yeah. But when you that when you know a good really opportunity, awesome. you take it. Exactly. That's exactly. awesome. Iconic. Truly iconic. But what else is iconic is talking about where we are with dance film and actually film cameras. They're in vogue again. Who would have thought this with all the technology in the world, including last week talking about making phones on our smart devices. People want to put money down and make movies with Kodak film. Yeah, there's been, I mean, just from a programming perspective, there's been so much shot on film. The The number of films actually shot on film has increased exponentially, you know, in 2021 from 2020. And it's, um, you look online and you look even on Instagram and people are very much appropriating that kind of aesthetic for their work. And it's really seeing a huge reemergence and... Yeah, kind of a response to the hyper-digitized world that we find ourselves in. Totally. I was going to ask what, in in your opinions, and also in what you've read in artist statements and bios and social posts, what do you think is at the heart of this? Because there is this nostalgia, this there is this return to old forms. And some of it is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, some of it's just mimicking the aesthetic like I remember when it was so cool you could put sepia filter on your photos like on your on your default computer application and all of a sudden like I look like an old movie star right but now things are so advanced like I can't even it's it's pretty incredible to fathom how far we've come in about 150 years of this stuff like not even you know, so right. what what have you noticed is maybe at the heart of that drive for people to do that or to explore these old technologies? Because they're not always as practical or uh, economically friendly. Oh, totally not economically friendly. I think in a way it's more of experimentation and also just learning the form of traditional filmmaking. I mean... The three of us, I don't, I'm going to assume for a second, but like for myself, I've learned filmmaking with DSLR. You know, I've always had some kind of digital format of making films. I mean, when I was a kid, we had a little DV camera and I was recording on DV tapes and not caring how much, you know, footage I was recording you know, and and in that time, also with DV tapes, you can tape over top of things. So even that is a digital technology. Whereas if you're shooting on Kodak film, celluloid film of some kind, you know, the time is money, and you can you can't retape over that like the DV tapes on those San- Sony Handymans back in the day. 
Well, and what's amazing about being, quote unquote, in the future and going back to these old technologies that you can combine it with others. So what I'm seeing a lot of is kind of embracing the best of both worlds where you see something shot on actual film, but then we are able to use digital editing technologies to really gain some of those benefits that digital production really does have. Like you don't have to physically cut strips of film and know how to actually edit like, I mean, clearly I don't, or maybe not clearly, but I've certainly never had the uh, amazing honor and privilege to learn how to edit physical film. You know, that's probably on my bucket list. But I, I do think that we we have the benefit of being in a time where we can reach through many different points in history to yield a unique result that we want. A lot of the impetus for film, and I mean, a lot of it um, is sort of, I'm deriving from academic perspectives, there's actually a really interesting uh, symposium in 2019 based in Montreal that explored dance film or specifically they titled it low tech dance film. And it was sort of a history of amateur experimental filmmaking over, I mean, really over the course of history from the beginning of film. And we have to keep in mind that for things like eight millimeter and 16 millimeter, like these were film stocks that were, created for home movie use. So these were essentially like sort of the mass produced user-friendly versions of what people would usually see in movie theaters. And there was, even back in the 1920s, like there was a lot of people turning up their noses at 16 millimeter, considering it like, you know, debased form of, you know, the 35 millimeter that we were seeing in, um, or not, not we were seeing, but people were seeing in <laughs> the 20s and 30s. And I was there, Claire. Oh, yeah. Wasn't it Just great? <laughs> I wish. I think one of the reasons why people are returning to 16 millimeter and even 8 millimeter is that it is sort of an homage to previous amateur filmmakers and people you know, who are, you know, previous, who are learning how this form worked on their own terms outside the any kind of institutional confine. Totally. And, and like we touched on many times last episode, and, you know, it's not the last time I'm going to say this, great, great ideas make great art, not high budgets, not a particular type of technology. So I think it is a, a welcome challenge for certain people to really experiment, as Hannah said, and find something new within exploring the old. The other thing is that audiences are so saturated and even, you know, we are part, the creators are part of that audience. So we see so much of the same stuff. Things tend to blend. Trends come in and out. We see certain color palettes or filters or just different like fonts, typefaces, like different things that um, become popular at different points. And it is a way for people to differentiate themselves as well and to kind of educate people as well because... I've all, this might not be a surprise to anyone, but I've always been like an old soul. I've always been interested in old technology and old movies and music. And, you know, that's always been me. But there's some people that really don't tend to reach into the past. And I do think that reviving these old technologies and using them is a great way to expose audiences to how far we've come or just to the fact that that there's still value in these old technologies and they can still be enjoyable to watch. Like, imagine, you know, our, our parents' generation, like they, they listened to like Paul Simon's Kodachrome and they were like taking Polaroid pictures and they, they were the generation started like doing all those things, you know? So I think that it's, it's nostalgic and in a way that 
resonates with a lot of different people and that even new audiences have no idea what they're looking at. It's an entry point for them instead of just reading about it or hearing about it on Jeopardy or something. Not that other people watch Jeopardy at all. I watch Jeopardy every night. Jeopardy is still relevant. Every night. <laughs> I, I listen to it while I do laundry. Yeah. Oh, rest in Fantastic. peace, <laughs> Well, we have three films today, and if you want to chime in and watch or listen or whatever, uh, those are located in the show notes. Today, we're going to start off with a pick that Claire has given to us, House of Joy by Robert Ulan. Uh, 2019 film. Claire, what brought you to focus on this film for today? Obviously, it's an old technology film, but what's what gives it that je ne sais quoi? Well, for me, it is shot on a Super 8, so it has a very grainy, very, I don't want to say unfinished quality, but it has sort of like a fallible quality knowing that the media it's shot on, it actually has like a lot of crackles in the frames. It has some, I believe it has actually some chemical distortion in some of the frames. Whenever the sun hits it, it hits it at a very extreme level. But the thing that really intrigued me about this film was the combination of this old technology and seeing it capture dance and really, you know, be an example of screen dance at its development at its point in time right now and the language of the camera versus the mover. Now, the image is a very, um, gives a very dreamy kind of otherworldly feel to it. But looking at the way that the camera moves with the dancer and that the way that the camera captures detail, this is, these are characteristics that we see in screen dance nowadays, like that really hyper-focused attention to detail and that, you know, lock in on um, even the moment with the dancer's hands that really wasn't seen a lot or really wasn't seen this clearly in films of old. Yeah, I feel like this film, well, one, it's the most grainiest of all the films that we've picked out today. So it definitely screams, you know, this is shot on film. I felt like watching this had this docu-style quality to it because there wasn't so much edits, which we normally get in a screen dance film. We're always cutting in on the hands. In this case, hands were kind of more of just a focus of by my eye. Like I was just watching my eye. Like you could see her in the full frame. You could see the space, but it wasn't just her hands that you saw. It was me focusing on that because she was focused in on that. So it definitely gave that like rawness quality. It's funny to say, even though this is kind of a cinematic film because of the technology that it's used on, but it did not feel cinematic to me when watching it because of that, you know, removed, you know, or stripped down edit that we don't normally get. Right. The funny thing is with the, you know, we're talking about things that appear to be old because they are shot on, an, you know, using some older technology. But this film, it was produced in 2018. And to me, it looks totally like something from the 20 teens or 2020 because of how all the aesthetic elements come together. Like it's this dancer's like tattoos and her haircut. To me, this reads as like, 
I wouldn't say the epitome, but I would say in that in that neighborhood of what this kind of hipster aesthetic is and how perfect that this film is from Oregon as well. I have to shout out Portland Dance Film Festival and the Oregon Dance Film Commission because they really are producing great films every single year um, through their festival and really supporting art being made. And something I really appreciate is I don't think all the films that have been selected are from Oregon as well. And, you know, as a Canadian, uh, <laughs> I've noticed and I've experienced... Uh, Things are there's a lot of regional pride and necessity, and there's there's some utility to that, and there's some benefits and some reasons that that makes sense. But it's also cool when something can exist for the broader screen dance community, and I do appreciate that this commission does that. You don't have to be um, from a particular region or based in Oregon to reap this opportunity. And maybe we will link that in the show notes um, where you can find out more about their dance film commission. Another thing that really drew me in on this film was an area that is really interesting to me is like where where's the moment where technology fails and what can artists do with that moment? Like we see even those, as I mentioned, there are a few frames that have like a chemical distortion to them and there is a real discoloration at some points when the light uh, hits the lens. But... That, that to me creates this sort of a tension between uh, the hyper control focus of the the frame, which again, we spoke about this last week. If you're working with film, which is really expensive, you have to be very decisive about how you're using it. But it really had this tension between this control of the frame and the lack of control with what that film is going to give you and the state of that film and sort of in a way accepting some things that are out of your control and um, trying to work with what's within yours. Claire, when you were talking about how using the, how to use the restraints that you have with the footage that you got. And one thing with dance film, you know, when we're shooting digitally, it's just kind of like how much of the card can we fill? (laughs) And in this circumstance, like a lot of that film gets you know, thrown out. It gets unused. And the first thing that I noticed when we started getting these like flashbacks of earlier scenes and I'm like, that's how we're reusing the footage. You know, it's like, like I've seen this location. So they only shot, you know, one location once, you know, there was no going back or even they had to take that time and then figure out how can we use it later to tie things in together because you know that they don't have that budget of just, you know, all the roles in the world that you can use. I mean, with Super 8 film, it's expensive. You know, it's 40 bucks and then it's an extra 40 to $80 to get that developed and digitized, you know, and that's for most dance film budgets, that's out of the question. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a bit of a paradox when sometimes I, I, I hear occasionally um, people using like the term like going back to our roots um, as filmmakers when we use um, analog film. But at the same time, like it's really hard to access this material. And even if you're looking at the context of the time, it was still pretty hard to access this material. And I mean, quite frankly, 
hard to access the training to develop the skills to use it in a, not even necessarily a proper way, but in a way that preserves the material as well. Well, and before we go on to the next film, I did want to go on a bit of a, a detour uh, and just kind of shout out what we think about when we talk about old technologies, because we've named yes. 16 millimeter, we've named eight millimeter, we've named mm-hmm. super eight, um, we've named 35 millimeter. But the cool thing about dance and cinema is they combine so many other art forms and even something as basic as the Wi-Fi or not basic, but something as foundational as the Wi-Fi that we're using to connect right now or that you might use to like airdrop a video or whatever, you know, that was invented in 1942. So how amazing is it that we've come so far um, with so much progress technologically that we're able to do things on such a, like, just with such incredible speed and power, you know? So shout out to Hedy Lamar for inventing Wi-Fi. And uh, again, <laughs> linked Hedley. in the show notes. <laughs> um, again, like linked in the show notes, there's a really great Netflix documentary on this amazing woman who was like, a Hollywood actress and inventor and just insane. So, um, yeah. you know, that's that's just amazing, like, for one kind of technology. But, of course, we're talking about photography. We're also talking about lighting. You know, someone like Loa Fuller or Loie Fuller, as some people uh, refer to her, you know, inventing theatrical lighting and all these illusions. The power here is really how do you have these creative ideas to show something and create something unique? And... I think that today we only pick three films, but there's so many stellar examples of what you can do with old technology. And I also want to shout out from like last season, we did cover some films that use old technologies. Episode three last season, we talked to Talia Shea Levin about her film mm-hmm. Isolations um, yeah. and kind of what that uh, process was like. So if you want to listen to an interview with her, that's linked in the show notes. And then also Eric Chung, we talked to him in episode four um, about his film Ego and the sort of challenges and uh, benefits to working with older tech. So that said, there's no shortage of great examples at, and the infinite combinations that are available to us. You know, it's a really great time to be an artist and a creative person. Another great example of old technology with a new perspective is MEND. So Hannah, this was your pick. So why don't you tell us about MEND? So MEND by Jackson Krupp and Chris Emile was a commission from Nowness. We all love Nowness. It's a kind of culture, I would say online magazine of sorts of just art and like I said, culture, but also they have a dance series and they all collide. You could say it's also like a museum of sorts, just a digital museum. And MEND, I think, is like a great example of using, again, the old technology of today. In this case, we're exploring kind of like the mind and the body and a man talking about his sexual identity as well it threw a black body and the texture of film being used in this film I think really shows just how deep the mindset of just being a man in a black body going through what a man is Mm-hmm. I mean, the what drew me the most to this film, to be honest, was the sound score. I think it's a beautiful and 
very out there kind of sound score that we don't normally see in dance works. And there's never a moment of pure silence. It's all this kind of like white noise. And I think that's what is also being shown through the camera of using this old technology of film. Like when you watch film, 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 there's always grain. Grain, you don't love grain when you're working with digital. You, you try to avoid the grain. You're setting your ISO, your ISO at such a level to get rid of the grain, but you embrace it in... 16 millimeter, 8 millimeter, super 8, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think the usage of like nature, of just atmospheric sound, bees, you know, things that you know, but they're kind of like forgettable in a way. Cause like you don't think about those kind of sounds when you're in that environment. When you're outside, you're not, you're not really listening for bees. If anything, you want to get away from the <laughs> Unless bee. you're allergic to them, in which case you're right. like, I've run! Yeah. But like, it, it's just interesting how that imitates the camera itself and how it's just kind of like this stirring energy between what we're watching on screen and also not just the screen itself of like the green, but also beyond that with the dancer and the plot itself. I find the use of sound with these videos very, very interesting because again, throwing it back to the context of 16, eight millimeter, many of these cameras weren't designed to capture sound. Like old Bolexes, like they didn't capture sound. Like it, it was just capturing image. So this use and this sort of look back and reinterpretation of it with the the tools that artists have handy, now they can create a sound score. And it's interesting seeing like what, how people conceive of diegetic sound in that case and how people, yeah, choose their sound and how they decide to blend it in with the image or completely contrast it. And that was something I found very interesting about this was that there was a an interesting sense of like push and pull with, with how much the sound score was trying was blending in with the image and how much it was from another time or felt like it was of another time. And I actually, yeah, I wanted to also uh, further Hannah's point of representation in the film as well, where I feel that a lot of people using, who are using 8mm or 16mm, especially artists of color who are using it, are very much subverting old... Hollywood or like old, old filmic notions of who should be seen on screen. 100%. Of, I mean, for the sheer fact that many technologies that were developed in the mid 20th century were not designed to see a great representation of bodies on screen. Like there was this whole thing in Hollywood that, you know, certain, you know, people, certain people of color are, well, it's not advantageous because they are hard. It's hard to light them well. And sort of think saying that is a well, well, whoops, we I guess we can't do this, so we can't show show these voices. So I think that a lot of work that we're seeing, filmic work that we're seeing, is again very much a subversion of sort of the the barriers that used to keep these voices out. I am heartbroken at that fact, but I am so glad you mentioned it, Claire, because it is important to understand, like when we talk about the complicated and uh, not so great aspects of history. 
it's important to understand how deep some of those things run and the fact that the technology literally wasn't designed to capture their image and was favored for lighter skin, for white skin. It's not as if it was impossible. You know, people choose where they put their efforts. And it is really amazing that we are seeing this resistance and this this pushback. I think it's something that we need to, as much as it's a negative point, it's something we need to keep alive and pass forward. So thank you for mentioning that. It's really important that we're we're adding that context. Thank, yeah, thank you for mentioning that, Jen. And actually, this is a great um, segue to the film that uh, you've presented to us today. Uh, would you be able to introduce uh, your pick? Yes, my pick for today is Escape by Heidi Duckler Dance Theater and Felipe Diaz-Gelars. I remember the first time I saw Escape, I was watching submissions and different ones came in. I was excited just to see like that I got some films from Heidi Duckler Dance Theater because I thought, okay, it's going to be good. Everything I've seen from them is amazing and site-specific and those will be awesome. And I was just floored by this film. And especially, I was going to ask today, uh, quick quick side comment, um, I was going to ask today what old technologies you all really love the most. And for me, uh, it's a sign of the times I grew up in, but I am a huge VHS fan. Like, I just grew (laughs) up watching VHS tapes and, like, playing hooky from school so I could stay home and rewind and organize the VHS tapes. So this film starts with a VHS tape um, and like a TV sort of appearance. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger comes on screen and starts (laughs) talking about like Milton Friedman. Like it's so strange for a dance film, but so awesome. I was just captivated right away. Um, So this is a really cool film that kind of, is jarring and uh, a little kitsch at the beginning, a little bit like, what am I watching? And it's very powerful and it has such a strong political message and imagery. And, you know, it was filmed in Chile as well. Um, We're going to link in the show notes, like more information about this project, but this is something that was released in 2020. And, you know, just really, I think a great example of using old technology is kind of like a hook and kind of a way to put you in a, in a, in a state where you're ready to receive some new information and then really just taking you on a ride for the next however many minutes that you're watching it. And something I saw watching this film and as well as watching uh, Mend as well, films that use old tech well are the films that show the audience what they're missing with new tech or what got lost in the transition to digital. And here, and this is actually inspired by a friend's a friend noting this on Facebook, the use of the 4 by 3 aspect ratio or the framing of the 4 by 3 aspect ratio really creates an effective frame for dance. Because, I mean, I think right now 16 by 9 is considered uh, the default. But at the same time, like, yeah. since most of the dance films that we tend to see have a body centered in frame, there's so much dead space on each side of the dancer. And so the use of mise-en-scene is really, is really heightened in that four by three range. And even just with the switches between the four by three and the 16 by nine that we see in this film, like I, that was really perceptible to me. Like that was really, I thought that was used really effectively. Yeah, I feel like also a similarity between Mend and Escape too is just kind of the play of contrast of what 
we're familiar to, what the ideology is. You know, with men, it was like how people see him or them and then how they see themselves. And with this, it's kind of like old influencing the present, what they thought was right or ideal then and then how it's being portrayed now and it's interesting how the via the there's like all these filters and vfx being used on the newer footage and how that they kind of blend together in that symbiotic relationship throughout the film what i found really effective about this film is having this VHS type presentation at the beginning just primed me to be open to receive whatever was going to be coming my way. You know, it's not, it's certainly not what you expect when you start watching a dance film, but it also put me in a place where I'm, I'm thinking about kind of the benefit and just the magic of recording. You know, you think about why screen dance, why dance film and the, the thing that made me fall in love with this hybrid art form is that you have two perfectly opposite things. You have dance that is always escaping, that only exists while it's happening. Like the three of us are dancers. We're not dancing right now, so therefore we're not dancers at, right now. You know, you could argue like, oh, once a dancer, always a dancer. But, you know, <laughs> we're not dancing right now, so there is no dance right now. You know, and in contrast, uh, cinema and film is is the art of not just capturing reality or um, sort of a constructive reality, but also manipulating it quite a bit. And what a beautiful marriage we have here in this project where you are seeing old technology, old video content, new video that was shot specifically for this, a mix of very, uh, you know, pun intended, escapist imagery and waterfalls (laughs) and rainbows, just stuff that doesn't even look like it's on this planet and then these political protests in contrast with it. It's just such a powerful film that I think does so much by just surprising you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thematically, I felt that the use of old tech really worked here and that I felt that it really demonstrated the continuity of unrest through, through the decades, really. And also did an effective job as far as who's telling the story as well. Um, And I think we can see with like, even in recent protests, how amazingly high quality video can be like from captured by protesters or people on the streets themselves. Yeah. And I mean, almost to the point where it looks, it looks staged in a way where people are even kind of staging um, like many many shoots, but uh, seeing that transition between, uh, you know, someone like a news organization telling the story from an outside eye versus these very amped up in production value stories from the inside or the images from the inside. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the great things about being alive today. You know, as much as I said earlier that I would love to be alive a hundred years ago, one of the great things about being alive today is that, uh, There is, not for everyone, you know, a lot of people still don't have access to these technologies. I'm not ignorant to that or pretending like everyone has an iPhone. I know not everyone (laughs) has an iPhone. Um, 
you know, so I'm, I'm not naive to that. But that said, things are so much more accessible than they ever have been and exponentially easier um, than it ever was to not just create something, but also to, you know, customize it and manipulate it and share it. And just it's it's really humbling to think like, wow, just the possibilities. And I think today we looked at some really good examples of just three different possible combinations. And there's going to be more linked in the show notes. And I'm sure that this will not be the last time that we talk about films that are shot on film uh, or projects that use old technologies. Before we wrap up this part of the conversation, I want to ask you what sort of old technologies um, shaped your life uh, and your experience through dance and film. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I was really big on VHSs and my first screen dance I ever directed that was like my big project was actually um, a music video to Jenny from the Block shot on my parents' (laughs) Sony Handycam (laughs) on 8mm. So I know that that was my, one of my big milestones and I will forever love and be attached to that sort of technology because it's just such a big part of my youth and my development um, and gave me the tools to start experimenting. So for you two, what's some technology that was part of your transformation and your journey to get here? Are DVDs considered old technology now? Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because, I mean, my formative years... um, as far as like creating, I mean, I wouldn't even call it really dance film work. It was mostly just clips of dance that were kind of strewn together. We're like <laughs> ripping, ripping DVDs and, you know, putting them into like Windows Media. Yes. Whatever it is. and Windows like, Media Player. Yeah. <laughs> like just sticking them together and calling it editing. And that was, yeah, that those really were formative times in my life. And I, you know, I just look at the stack of DVDs in in my closet and just like, wow, uh, I have to digitize these one day. <laughs> I keep all that stuff. Like, literally, I haven't thrown out a tape or a CD. Unless it's been legit damage, I haven't thrown one out, like, ever. So oh. I'm with you on the digitizing, the need to digitize and, like, organize. But... That stuff's gold. What about you, Hannah? That's amazing. Um, Well, it's funny because, like, still to this day, I still take photographs with my dinky little (laughs) point-and-shoot camera that I've had since I was a child. And it's like purple and see-through, and love it. I and I'm before that. Before I re-found that thing deep into my storage at my parents' house, I was taking disposables. And I mean, I I just always loved having a hard copy. And that that's something that I've still am too attuned to this day, um, not with just photographs, but even just like buying vinyl, um, getting uh, the hard copy of a DVD of a film that I absolutely love, whether that's a box set. And then Amongst my own work, I mean, I was kind of late to the game of making films and I was like a strong proponent to like everyone being, everything being digital because I wanted to like, 
for people who know my work, like, you know that I love to, like, cut things up a lot (laughs) to, like, even one frame. Anna's, like, the Julienne style of Yeah, (laughs) I'm mincing, I'm mincing that film, you know, and, um, but... I mean, it it could go back to when I was just playing with my parents' handy, yeah, Sony Handycam on those DV tapes. And I was a nut with just like kind of documenting everything and taking videos of it and even trying to make a little silly commercial of my own um, (laughs) about like (laughs) medical commercials. And who would have known that I, (laughs) to this day, am making, you know, videos as a paid career. I'm very blessed to that, but I mean, and along with that, it's just like, I've always even taken pictures with like, just like a regular digital camera and always uploaded to Facebook. I've always been, I guess, that merriment of like physical media and just like constantly keep going with it. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. And what a blessing that the three of us were able to do that and go through our creative awkward phases without this obligation of like, I need to put it on TikTok or I need to put it on <gasps> oh Instagram. My God. Because unfortunately, today's today's youth, I mean, they have, that makes me sound super old, but like today's youth and this next generation, <laughs> like they, st- they have like, I believe humans have a, a not more or less everyone has a creative impulse and Mm -hmm. this artistic impulse and we learn through imitation as human beings you learn by you like hannah you were copying commercials and i don't know if i was copying medical commercials mind you the really silly ones where they talk about diarrhea and side effects ask your doctor if this is right for you (laughs) all of the side effects like your headache may go but you may die (laughs) i don't think i want to do this if it lasts but, longer than four hours. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it's it's really bittersweet. I'm glad that we had that experience because I do think it it kindles that love. And what a blessing that we didn't put that stuff out on social media for our peers to ridicule us or, mm-hmm. you know, for other people yeah. to put their adult gaze on it, you know, and... I just, I just weep for the future. I'm just so sad about, you know, today's kids that have that creative impulse and want to do that. But the, the examples they have, there's so many more of them and it's kids that are just like them or it's, it's just a different world today. And, you know, I think that it's, it's good to really highlight examples of what things used to be like and just open up the opportunity for people to create their own reality, to create their own meta present day contemporary fusion of whatever they want to curate. And I think today's films were three really strong examples of how we can sort of reach across history, reach across time and really create something unique for us in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. 100%. We said it once and we'll say it again. If you want to share your event on the show, Click the link in the show notes to find out how. We're taking submissions for announcements until June 30th, so don't wait. Well, with all that said, this was a great conversation. There's so much more we could dive into here, and maybe we'll do another old technology episode or focus on a particular medium. Of course, you can always let us know what you want to hear at home. 
Uh, But thanks for listening today. And Hannah, Claire, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Likewise, likewise. Always. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's frameform, P-O-D. If you like what you're hearing, leave a review and rate the show. It really helps out. And if you know someone who also likes dance or film, join the conversation and bring your friends. Frameform is a production of Rixie. Hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Edited by the Frameform team. Mix and theme song by myself, Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.